And we ended with reading through uh, part of chapter 8. Um, we, knew, we ended last week with reading through part of chapter 8. You might have to turn that my microphone down a little bit. Um, where Jesus had an interaction with, with Jesus and some religious leaders, right? Where Jesus had an interaction with some religious leaders and this woman who, uh, who they brought who um, was caught in the act of adultery. Remember that from last week? That's how, that's how we, how we, ended, how we uh, ended last week. And, um, and we, we see played out two types of reaction to sin, right? We see two types of reaction played out to sin, right? The first one is you have these, remember, if you remember, we had these religious leaders um, who, were, who were all about condemnation and that they even labeled her by saying, what, sh- what should we do with a woman like this? You remember that, remember that part? And I, if, I was, if I was her, I would have jumped up and smacked her, smacked them all. Like, what do you mean a woman like this? But um, many of us have come in here this morning with labels that have been placed on us by the world. That's what the world has said about you. And, and it's all been, pl- they've, they've come in here and they've placed, they've placed these labels on you because of actions or behaviors of your past. But if you, know, if you remember in this story that we looked at last week, um, we have Jesus, Jesus looked at her and called her dear woman. Said, "Dear woman, who who is left here to condemn you?" And he he spoke to her as if she had value and had some worth. And God wants you to know that you have some worth this morning. It doesn't matter what labels the world ha- the world has put on you, because at the end of the day, the only one that can label you is the one who created you. The only one who can label you is the one who created you. But I want you to remember, they, they brought her in. These religious leaders brought her in with condemnation and judgment. But the one who has all authority and right to condemn and cast judgment and even throw stones literally extended to her grace. And thank God that I'm a man who is saved by grace, given something that I did not deserve, he gave it to me anyway. When I deserve the condemnation and the wrath and, and, and everything due my sin, he says, you know what, I'm, I'm going to give you grace, unmerited favor, something I can't earn, because clearly all throughout Scripture says that we can't earn favor with God, but that it's placed upon us. We can't earn it. But thank God I'm a man saved by grace, but like when I deserved the judgment and the condemnation, it was Christ who said in John 3, 17, God did not send his son into the world to judge and condemn the world, but to be its savior and rescue it. Jesus does not condemn you this morning. I don't care what your past says. I don't care what your present is. He does not condemn you. In fact, he says, I want to save you from that. He wants to rescue you from that. But this shows us that if you're saved by grace, it takes you out of the stone-throwing business. You with me? If you've been saved by grace, it takes you out of the stone-throwing business. It means you have no right to judge because you once were that. You once were that woman who was committing adultery. You once were that, and now you're not. You're forever changed because we remember where we once were and how far Christ has brought us to. Like, some of y'all were some messed up people. I was some messed up people. I still am some messed up people's. But we, 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 we remember where we once were and how he has transformed his, uh, transferred his grace onto us. And now we walk in, truth, in the truth found in, Rome, in what Paul wrote to us in Romans 8.1. In 8, Romans 8.1 he says this, 
So now the case is closed. There remains no accusing voice of condemnation against those who are joined in life union with Jesus or who believed who believe in life union with believe in Jesus, the anointed one. For the law of the spirit of life flowing through the anointing of Jesus has liberated us or set us free from the law of sin and death. Because the law not only exposed our sin, but it but it but it, it gave us the penalty of sin. For God achieved what the law was unable to accomplish because the law was limited by the weakness of human nature because you couldn't meet up to the standard of the law. Because you couldn't. But Jesus came to be that standard. Yet God sent his own son in human form to identify with human weakness. Clothed with humanity, God's son gave his body to be the sin offering so that God could once and for all condemn the guilt and power of sin. So now, every righteous requirement of the law can be fulfilled through the anointed one living his life in us. And we are free to live, not according to our flesh, but by the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit. You are set free from the bondage of sin in your life as a believer in Jesus. It has no hold on you. The shame and the guilt that came along with that, the condemnation that came along with that, you are set free from that. But notice here, if you remember looking back, the religious leaders and this woman, was, they were confronted with the same conviction, conviction of their past, right? And here's the thing that I understand, understand is anytime someone encounters Jesus, there's going to be conviction of something in our life. Rather, rather, but conviction isn't a bad thing. Conviction is actually a good thing because conviction can become, can become a launching point in two different directions. Conviction led these religious leaders, if you remember, away from Christ. They dropped their stones and walked away. Maybe because of something he was writing in the sand, who knows? I don't know. But they left convicted. But this woman, this woman conviction led her toward Christ and a new life. It's all, you have the free will to choose what you allow conviction to do in your life. Conviction is an awesome thing. It can drive you toward Christ. It pushes you toward Christ or it can push you away from Christ. But what Christ wants is, is for it to draw you into himself. And, it's, and it, this, is, this whole idea of conviction is why we have to understand where we're picking up the story today. Uh, we're picking up the story today. You have to, with that in mind, this is what happens right after that. In John 8, starting in verse 12, it says this, Then Jesus said, I am light to the world, and those who embrace me will experience life-giving light, and they will never walk in darkness. So Jesus, right before this, told this woman, if you remember, go and sin no more. Like, how is that even possible? Like, how is it possible to go and sin no more? Right before this. And then Jesus goes off and says, I am the light of the world. And those who embrace me will experience life-giving light, and they will never walk in darkness. Like, how is that possible? We're human. And here's how. The light of Christ is now in you. It's your power over sin. If Christ is in you, sin has no hold on you. What does light do? It exposes where darkness used to be, right? That's what he's saying. Like, when, you, when I come into your life, it exposes all the dark spaces in your life. It exposes sin. It's the light that convicts and leads us to turn in directions that, in the directions that we should go. See, the literal trans, translation of, of the end of that verse would say this, and this is what I, what I love. It, said, it would say, 
I am light to the world, and those who embrace me, embrace the light, will experience life-giving light, and they will never be driven or pushed by the darkness. And here's why. Because you have the light, sin has no power over it. Since you have the light, sin has no power over you, except for the power that you give it. Except for the power that you give it. And this will make more sense here in a minute when we, when we look at Jesus' interaction with some leaders, but you, you've got to know that addiction has no hold on your life. Addiction has no hold on your life. That porn has no hold on your life. Guilt and shame have no hold on your life. You name it, whatever you're struggling with right now, whatever that sin is in your life, that darkness that's in your life, whatever it is, you've got to know that it has no hold on your life, period. But you do want to know it has a hold on your life? The Holy Spirit has a hold of your life if you're a believer in Jesus. In fact, this is, our friend Paul wrote this, wrote this, I love it. Romans 6.6 6 says, could it, could it be any clearer that our former identity, our past, is now and forever deprived of its power? It means it has no power. For we are co-crucified with him to dismantle the stronghold of sin within us so that we would not continue to live one moment longer submitted to sin's power. If you're submitted to the Spirit, you'll never be submitted to sin. I'm not saying you're not going to screw up. Don't hear me say that. I'm just saying it has no power over you except for the power that you give it. Because because here's the deal. To beg God for victory over sin is a refusal to understand that we have already died to it. I'm going to say that again. To beg God for victory over sin is a refusal to understand that we've already died to sin. We are co-crucified. Sin is defeated. Our task is to believe the good news rather than to seek to constantly crucify ourselves. We, how many of you all look in the mirror sometimes and just say, man, how could I have done that? How, how could I have possibly done that in my past? See, that is diminishing what Christ did on the cross when he says, I come to save you. Because here's the deal. Sin is not suppressed by the cross. It is eliminated. Sin is not suppressed by the cross. It is eliminated. Sin has no more power over your life if you are in Christ. So stop, stop giving it power that it, that it doesn't have. But he goes on to say, John goes on to record Jesus' interaction here with some religious leaders, and he says this in John eight thirteen. He says, the Pharisees were immediately offended and said, you're just boasting about yourself. Since we only have your word on this, it makes your testimony invalid. Because if you remember, it reminded they, they it takes a testimony of two, at least, for them to believe it. But if you remember a couple chapters ago, a couple chapters ago, Jesus points out that if anybody else comes in their own name, you willingly accept them except for me, right? So they're, like, they're going against even what they practice. They teach one thing, practice another thing, now they're bringing back what they're teaching again. They're like, it's like a lot of us, right? We say one thing with our lips, but do something different in our lives, but then we'll say it again with our lips, right? Because we have to let our lips, our lips should match our faith. You with me? The Pharisees were immediately offended and said, you're just boasting about yourself. Since we only have your word on this, it makes your testimony invalid. And Jesus responded, just because I am the one making these claims doesn't mean they're invalid. For I absolutely know who I am, where I've come from, and where I'm going. But you Pharisees, because they're not fair, you see, have no idea what they, what, what, you have no idea what, about what I'm saying for you set yourself as judge and others based on outward appearance, but I certainly never judge others 
in that way. And I love here later, Jesus, when confronting the Pharisees, actually says, you're nothing but whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but on the inside, there's death, right? For I discern the truth, he goes on to say, I am not alone in my judgment, for my Father and I had the same understanding in all things, and he has sent me to you. Isn't it written in the law of Moses that the testimony of two men is trustworthy? Then what I say about you, about who I am is true, for I am not alone in my testimony. My father is the other witness, and, and we testify together of this truth. You remember at his baptism, God from heaven says, this is my son, from whom I am well pleased. He keeps pointing that out to me. I don't know if you noticed, but anytime he gets in this debate, he's like, remember when you guys were there and you saw me be, get baptized by John, and you heard the voice from God that said, this is my son, for whom I am well pleased. You know, that, that dove that came down that was representative of the Spirit, like, that's a testimony. What about all the miracles that I've performed in the last whatever many years? It, it, like, that is a testimony to who I am. Why can't you get it? The very one you study about is standing before you and you still aren't believing. I love it. If I was Jesus, I'd be like, get out of, get out of town. Just like snap his finger, you know what I'm saying? But that's not who Jesus is, right? Then they asked, just who is this father of yours? Where is he? Because by this time, Joseph has probably died. And if you remember, they know where Jesus come from. They, 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 they knew who Jesus' mother was and, and how she, to them was that he was born out of wedlock. Like he was, his birth, like, and so they, 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 that's part of the reason why they struggled to believe him because they, they didn't believe that the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and she received she receives Christ. So this is the this is they're just being sarcastic, pointing out his past, right? He says, then they asked, "Just who is this father of yours? Where is he?" And Jesus answered, "You wouldn't ask that question if you knew who I who I am or my father. For if you knew me, you would recognize my father too." Jesus taught all these things while standing in the treasure room of the temple, and no one dared to arrest him, for it wasn't yet his time to surrender to man. In John eight twenty one, it goes on to say, "One day Jesus again." Again, said again, I'm about to leave you. You will want to find me, but you'll, but you, but you will still die in your sin. You don't, you, you won't be able to come where I'm going. And this death to sin, even though, like you know, Derek, you just said that sin has no power, like power over us. Well, you have to understand, we still in human flesh have the consequences of what sin has done in our life, which is physical death, right? So Jesus is saying, I'm about to leave you. you. You'll want to find me, but you will still die in your sin. You won't be able to come where I'm going. This, this so confused the Jewish leaders that they began to say, is he planning to commit suicide? What's he talking about? You won't be able to come where I'm going. And Jesus spoke up and said, you're all from this earth. I am from above. I am not from this world like you are. That's why I've told you that, that you, will all, you will all die in your sins. And this is where Jesus gets in trouble a little bit. He says, you will die in your sins if you fail to believe that I am who I am. Referencing back to the burning bush when God said, when Moses asked, what is your name, God? And he says, I am that I am. So immediately in that moment, they would have known Jesus is claiming to be God. So all those people who say, Jesus never really claimed to be God. Yeah, he did. Right there. That's just one example. All right? That's one example. But the verse says, that's why I've told you that you will die in your sins if you fail to believe that I am who I am. And I just want to clarify for those who may be listening online and those in this, in, those in this room, you have to understand is that you cannot come to God any other way than through Jesus, period. No other way. 
You have to believe and trust that he is, he is done what, who he is and what he has done to inherit eternity. In fact, Luke records in Acts 4.12, it says, There is no one else who has the power to save us, from, for there is only one name whom God has given authority by which we must experience salvation, the name of Jesus. There's no other name. I had a conversation with, with somebody this, this past week who says, I believe I, I found God in my dreams. No, 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 no. Because they were claiming they, they found God in another way. There is no other name in which you must be saved except for Jesus. If you don't go through Jesus, you don't know God the Father. Period. Period. I'm not saying that God can't speak to you in dreams. I'm not saying any of that, but I'm saying is for you to know Christ, you have to know, for you to inherit eternity, you have to know Christ. And he is the only name that can, that can save you. But it goes on to say this in John 8, 25. So they asked him plainly, who are you? <laughs> and Jesus says, I am the one I've always claimed to be. Like, I'm not changing my mind on who I am. Like, why do you keep asking me these stupid questions? He's like, I am the one I've always claimed to be. Verse 26. And I still have many things to pronounce in judgment about you, for I will testify to the world of the truths that I have heard from the Father, and the Father who sent me is trustworthy. Even after this, they still didn't realize that he was speaking about his heavenly Father. Look, and these are like the most educated people in that time period. All right? You will know me as I am. So pause for a second. So he just told them I am that I am. I'm not changing who, who I, like, I'm not changing my mind. I know who I am. Like, I've already told you plainly who I am. And now he's saying, one day you will know me as I am. You will know me as God in one way or, the, or another. Because glory is God's, so whether someone, someone inherits eternal life or someone is in hell because he's a righteous judge. Right? You will know me as I am after you have lifted me up from the earth as a son of man, talking about his about the cross, all right? Then you will realize that I do, I do nothing on my own initiative, but I only speak the truth that the Father has revealed to me. I am his messenger. He, he is always with me, for I only do that which delights his heart. I am his messenger, and he is always with me, for I only do what, that which delights his heart. These words cause many respected Jews to believe in him. And Jesus said to those, Jew, those Jews who believe in him, when you continue to embrace all that I teach, you prove that you are my true followers. For if you embrace the truth, it will release true freedom into your life. It is through Jesus that we receive freedom from the bondage of our past guilt and shame. Guilt and shame is a weight that you can't bear on your own. For some of us, we have some horrible past in here. And we'll, like we'll straight up say we have some horrible past in here. Like, if you knew some of the stuff I've done in my past, you would be like, why is that man standing on stage? We have some horrible stuff in our lives. Guilt and shame, and the weight that, you, that, the weight that we can't bear, it's a weight that drags us, drags us back into our past. It, it's, where, it's where our accuser, Satan, wants us to live. See, this is what you used to do. Look at what you did. How could how can God really love you when you've done that right there? That's what Satan wants you. That's where Satan wants you to live, and he wants you to live in that shame. Satan wants you to live there. There's three truths that we find in that, that section of scripture. And the first one is this: what you embrace will either keep you keep you stuck or set you free. What you embrace will either keep you stuck 
or set you free. And Christ wants freedom for you. That's why in Galatians 5.1 it says, Let me be clear. The anointed one has set us free, not partially, but completely and wonderfully free. We must always cherish this truth and stubbornly refuse to go back into the bondage of our past. Read it again. Let me be clear. The anointed one, Jesus, has set us free, not partially, but completely and wonderfully free. We must always cherish this truth and stubbornly refuse to go back into bondage of our past. The second thing it teaches us is to the extent you remember you're forgiven, you'll be free. To the extent you remember that you're forgiven, you will be free. Look at where Christ has brought you from. Remember, nothing you did remedied or fixed the pain in your heart, the sin in your heart, right? Remember, we tried to clean ourselves up and we realized we couldn't. That's why we needed a Savior who could. Because you, you were held, because you were held under the law and Scripture. This is like the law and the Scripture. And the, the Scripture actually says the law made sin more apparent in our life. So even though we tried to obey the rules, it showed us that we couldn't really obey the rules. But God extended grace to us. You couldn't do anything to fix your situation, so he came and did. That's why in Acts, Luke records this. He says, so listen, friends. Through this Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is offered to you. Everyone who believes in him is set free from sin and guilt, something the law of Moses had no power to do. The law, see, the religious leaders of Jesus' time would have taught, if you and there's even churches that teach today, if you obey this rule, this rule, this rule, this rule, you'll be in favor of God. If, you're, if you follow each one to the point like you, God will love you more. And Jesus says, no, no, that's the whole reason I came is because you can't meet this standard. And so I'm going to come and meet the standard and be that standard on your behalf. And all you have to do is trust in me to receive it. And lastly, it tells us that there can be a bright future even after your, your biggest failure. There can be a bright future even after your biggest failure. I don't care where, you, where you've come from. I don't care what you've done in your past or what you're currently doing in your present. None of that matters. Your future is bright with Christ. That's why probably one of the most famous verses says in Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you. His plans never fail. His plans are better than your plans, right? For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. There are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. Your future is bright in Christ. And I don't care how, you're, how messed up you are or what you've done in your past or what people have labeled you. He said, with my light in you, it will expose those dark places and it will heal those dark places and your future will be bright. So quit giving it power that it doesn't have. It does not hold you anymore. It was defeated and eliminated on the cross forever. But even... Well, you're like, Derek, that's Old Testament. Well, 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 Paul says this in the New Testament. It says, and you'll be empowered to discover what every holy one experiences, the great magnitude of the, of the astonishing love of Christ in all its dimensions, how deeply intimate and far-reaching is his love, how enduring and inclusive it is, endless love beyond measurement that transcends our understanding that this extravagant love pours into you until you are filled to overflowing with the fullness 
of God. Never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all this. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest requests, your, your most unbelievable dreams, and exceed your wildest imaginations. He will outdo them all, for His miraculous power constantly energizes you. Now we offer up God, to God all the glorious praise that raises from every church and every generation through Jesus Christ. And all that will all that will yet be manifest through time and eternity. Amen. He wants to change the course of your life forever, much like he did the woman who was brought before him in adultery. He says, go and sin no more because you have the light of Christ in you now. So quit living in your past. Quit living in what you're currently doing and just move forward. Your future is bright. Christ. Your future is bright. Christ. And he goes on to say this in John 8. He says, surprised, surprised by this, they said, but we're, we're surprised by this. He says, but we're the descendants of Abraham and we're already free. We've never been in bondage to anyone. Um, did you forget your history? You, did you forget your history? Weren't you slave to like many different places? Yes. So apparently you don't know anything about your past. But anyways, you just like forget that. Surprised by this, they said, but we're the descendants of Abraham and we're, we're already free. We've never been in bondage to anyone. How could you say that we will be released into more freedom? And Jesus says, I speak eternal truth. Uh, when you sin, you're not, you are not free. You've become a slave in bondage to your sin. And, a, and slaves have no permanent standing in a family like a son does. For a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free from sin, then become a true son and be unquestionably free. You have no power. You have power over the, the hold of sin in your life. You are unquestionably free. You have a permanent standing as a child of the king to sit in his midst. He has wiped your slate clean. All because of the light that he has placed in you. You have power over the sin in your life. You can walk in it. I don't know if I'm strong enough to resist that temptation. You're right. That's why you have the spirit and the light that's in you. Because you can. And he sent someone to live and dwell in you that can. Do you want to hear Jesus' response to their Abraham comment? Here we go. Jesus says, Even though you are descendants of Abraham, you desire to kill me because the message I bring has not found a home in your heart. Yet the truth I speak, I've seen and received in my Father's presence. But you are doing what you've learned from your Father. Uh-oh. Jesus. <laughs> okay, I'll make you go. Uh, Jesus is about to, like, punch him in the face, okay? What do you mean, they replied? Abraham is our father. Jesus said, if you're really Abraham's son, then you would follow in the steps of Abraham. <laughs> I've only told you the truth that I've heard in my father's presence, but now you are wanting me dead. Is that how Abraham acted? No. You people are doing what your father has taught you. Who's their father? Indignant, they responded, what are you talking about? We only have one father, God himself. We're not illegitimate. <laughs> Just imagine what you were so, Is Abraham your father? Is God your father? Like, you gotta decide. You know what I'm saying? And Jesus said, If God were really your father, you would love me, for I've come from his presence. I didn't come here on my own, but God sent me to you. Why don't you understand what I say? 
You don't understand because your hearts are closed to my message. You are the offsprings of your father, the devil. And you serve your father very well, passionately carrying out his desires because they're pushing people away from the God who they say they're trying to pull him into. He's been, he's been a murderer right from the start. He never stood with the truth for, his, for, his, uh, for he is full of nothing but lies. Lying is his native tongue. He is the master of deception and the father of lies. But I am, I am the true prince who speaks nothing but the truth. Yet you refuse to believe and, and you want nothing to do with me. Can you name one sin that I've committed? Then if I'm telling you, then if I'm telling you, telling you only the truth, why don't you believe me? If you really knew God, you would listen and receive and respond with faith to his words. But since you don't listen and, re- and respond to what he says, it proves you don't belong to him and you have no room for him in your hearts. We have no room in our hearts for what God is saying to us because we're believing the lies of the Satan, that Satan's telling us. We're believing the lies, that, the, believing the labels that he's placing on our lives. What if we stop listening to the voice of our accuser, the one that is condemning us, and listen to Jesus who says, I have come to give you a future and a hope. Now, I don't care how old you are in this room or how young you are in this room, hope and a future is available to you. Stop believing the lie that's coming from Satan, that you're, you're done and it's over with. If you're, if you're not dead, he is not done with you. I don't care what your past looks like, how dirty you feel like you are, guess what? If you're not dead, he's not done. Listen to the religious leaders. See? We were right all along. Some of the Jewish leaders shouted, you're, no, you're nothing but a demon-possessed Samaritan. Apparently they didn't know their uh, races either. But Jesus replied, it is not, it's not a... It is not a demon that would cause me to honor my father. I live my life for his honor, even though you insult me for it. I never have a need to seek my own glory, for the father will do that for me, and, we, and he will judge those who do not. I speak to you this eternal truth. Whoever cherishes my words and keeps them will never experience death. This prompted the Jewish, Jewish leaders to say, Now we know for, know for sure you, you're demon-possessed. You just said to, to you just said that the those who keep watch over your words will never experience death. But Abraham and all the prophets have died. And he says, Do you do you think you're greater than our father Abraham and all the prophets? If I was Jesus, I would say absolutely. Um, you are so delusional about yourself that you make yourself greater than, than than you are. And Jesus answered them, If I were to tell you how great I am, it would mean nothing. But my father is the one who will prove it. And will glorify me. Isn't it isn't he the one who who the one you claim is your God? But in reality you've never embraced him as your own. I know him and I would be a liar like your I know him and I would be a liar like yourselves if I told you anything less than that. I have fully embraced him and I treasure his every word. And not only that, Abraham, your ancestor, was overjoyed when he received the revelation of my coming to earth. Yes, he foresaw me coming and was filled with delight. So even the one you claim as your father believes in me. But many of the Jewish leaders doubted him and said, what are you talking about? You are not even 50 years old yet. 
you talk like you've been you've seen Abraham because I have is what I would say again and Jesus said to him I give you this eternal truth I have existed long before Abraham was born for I am again he's saying I am God the one you're claiming is your father that's me that's me when they heard this they picked up rocks to stone him but Jesus concealed himself as he passed through the crowd and went away from there here's the point of today if you have found the light that's in you you can walk in freedom from your past and any sin in your life shame has no hold on you guilt has no hold on you all you have to do is say Jesus I want freedom that's in you and accept what he's done on the cross accept what he's done in the resurrection because the cross and the resurrection gives us victory over sin death and the grave and that's something we can celebrate. And you don't have to do anything to earn it. You don't have to do anything for it. All you have to do is just say, here's my life. It is yours. And just then follow the Spirit as the Spirit tells you to walk. Don't be like these religious leaders who have a hard heart, hardened heart. Let conviction soften that heart so that you can turn to the one who created you. And you can start to believe, believe the labels that he places on you, which are son and daughter, dear woman. We serve a king. We serve a God who came to earth, took on human flesh so that he could experience what we experience as human and he could overcome it so that we can lean on him and that he could be our sacrifice because it's through his blood that we are healed. So either you're listening to this online later or you're here this morning, that is the invitation. Are you going to accept the sacrifice Jesus made on you so that you can live free from the shame and the guilt in your life? You can do that. You can do that step. God, we want to thank you so much for giving us an opportunity to come here and worship you this morning. And I pray that the words you've given me to speak this morning, they don't go out void, but they, they, they penetrate the heart. Maybe there's someone here who's been a believer for the majority of their life, but they've been living in the shame in the past. They've allowed shame and guilt to, to, to restrict them from the call in their life, from, from their purpose in life. And may today they be set free, unquestionably free, undoubtedly free from the shame and the guilt. Maybe they're here this morning or listening online later, God, that they don't know you as their Savior. Maybe it's in, and now and they're walking in shame and guilt, and may you release them from that and they become followers of you. And dwell them with your spirit. Set them free from that this morning. I pray all this in your name.